This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Market rate, £3,000 a day. Were you signing Lionel Messi? This is First Minister's questions. Just once, just once, it would be nice to get a First Minister's answer. For Douglas Ross to stand there and talk about losing grip of a party when he's been leader, the Conservatives have had the longest attempted coup in Scottish political history. The Steamy, a laudable production for the Scotsman. Hello and welcome to the Steamy, the Scotsman's politics podcast. I'm Alistair Grant, the Scotsman's political editor, and I'm joined today, as usual, by Rachel Amory, the Scotsman's political correspondent. We are sitting, as usual, in the depths of the the Scottish Parliament in Edinburgh, but I think it's fair to say the focus today was elsewhere in the city, where Hamza Yusuf, the First Minister, and Liz Lloyd, who was Nicola Sturgeon's chief of staff when she was First Minister, and one of the former First Minister's closest advisers, we're giving evidence to the UK COVID inquiry. That inquiry is sitting in Scotland for three weeks, taking evidence from the key people who made decisions or advised those who were making decisions during the pandemic in Scotland. We're yet to hear from Nicola Sturgeon herself. She's due to give evidence before the inquiry on Wednesday next week. There's a full day devoted to her, so I think everyone in Scottish politics will be glued to that on Wednesday. But we've already heard some extraordinary evidence from figures such as Jason Leach, the, the National Clinical Director, obviously a, a kind of household name during the COVID pandemic, and Gregor Smith, the Chief Medical Officer. Much of the focus on WhatsApp messages, or indeed the lack of WhatsApp messages. It's emerged that senior officials routinely deleted their WhatsApps. They point to the fact that this was Scottish Government guidance, as they understood it, to record key decisions and quote-unquote salient points from conversations and then to delete messages, partly for security reasons. However, not everyone followed this advice. We've been hearing today that Liz Lloyd, for example, retained six and a half months of WhatsApp messages from during the pandemic. Hamza Yusuf, the First Minister as well, thought that he had failed to retain his messages, but it actually turns out he did manage to get access to them in the end. Uh, Rachel, what were some of the... You were obviously, you were watching the inquiry today. We both were. I think you were doing a live blog for the Scotsman's yes, website. Yes, we've literally just finished the live blog. So I've been typing since 10am this morning. So <laughs> it's nice to get a break from that, at least to do the podcast. And what were some of the, the, the main revelations today? Well, if we take um, Liz Lloyd first, she was in the morning today. Perhaps not a name or a face that everyone is going to know. Um, she wasn't, you know, a forward-facing role for the public anyway, but she's the chief of staff for Nicola Sturgeon, so she was in the room for a lot of these major decisions. So she was very, very integral to all of these sorts of things. And um, we went through lots of discussions about, particularly around like um, when decisions were made with Nicola Sturgeon, how they were made, 
was she sort of waving guidance? Was she making decisions? She was saying no. She was more of a sort of advisory role. And like we said, a lot of her WhatsApps were retained as well. And I think the one that's um, well, certainly hit the headlines just now anyway is an exchange between Nicola Sturgeon and Liz Lloyd. Yeah, so this was uh, an exchange they were having during that, I think it was the second lockdown in October 2020 yes. when Boris Johnson was on TV announcing that and Nicola Sturgeon basically despairing over their effing awful communications, calling Boris Johnson an effing clown. I think those WhatsApp messages have been, you know, they've been the focus of, of previous days, very much the focus today. And I think one of the points that certainly critics of the Scottish government are making is that many of those messages we've seen seem to cast doubt on the Scottish government's position that it does not routinely make decisions via WhatsApp. That's always been their line when they've been sort of defending their policy of deleting WhatsApp messages and you know, retaining what they say are the, the key points, the, the main decisions for the, the corporate record. They've always said that they don't routinely make decisions or conduct government business on WhatsApp. And I think today, you know, certainly in those messages between Liz Lloyd and Nicola Sturgeon, uh, okay, we can kind of dance in the head of a pin about whether or not decisions as such were being made, but they were certainly discussing policy. They were discussing decisions. Yes, um, the, the session with Liz Lloyd went straight into discussing capacity at weddings and funerals. And so we were getting sort of, not in, not really in-depth discussions, but trying to sort of give advice and give guidance on what the capacity should be, particularly in comparison to England there. Um, a lot of um, discussion was then put on how much did independence or the desire for independence and the desire to be seen as different from the UK government impact on decisions there. Now, Liz Lloyd very much saying, you know, I wasn't as involved in the independence plan as people might think I was. But basically saying that it was politically advantageous to the Scottish government to be seen as different from the UK government. I think one of the phrases that Liz Lloyd used was that she wants to cause a good old-fashioned drama with the UK government and she says that she wants to think about something other than sick people for a while. So there is perhaps some sort of evidence there that perhaps there was a bit more of a, a desire to be seen as doing something different from the UK government. And I think we also discussed relations between the four nations or perhaps reasonable at the start of the pandemic and then deteriorated over time to the point where, as we've seen only a few months down the line in October 2020, we have um, profanities being handed around. <laughs> and you touched on this there, but there was obviously there was that WhatsApp message that Liz Lloyd had sent Nicola Sturgeon in, in November, beginning of November 2020, where basically they were discussing, Liz Lloyd was expressing frustration at the fact that the UK government was planning to wind down the furlough scheme at a time when the Scottish government wanted to impose more restrictions. And like you say, she was saying, this is Liz, Liz Lloyd speaking, my reason for setting a timeline for them to answer us on furlough is purely political, especially as we expect the answer to be no, it looks awful for them and creating that kind of pressure could possibly result in a yes. And then she goes on to say, think I just want a good old fashioned Rami so can think about something other than sick people. And Nicola Sturgeon replies, yeah, I get it, and it might be worth doing. So I think when, when Liz Lloyd was asked about this in the inquiry, she said, you know, something along the lines of, she wanted a Rami, but for a, for a good purpose. Yes. She basically wanted public pressure to be put on the UK government to encourage it to change its policy. Yeah, she was saying that, um, you know, it has happened in the past where if you put public pressure, then public pressure does make a difference. But it is kind of difficult to see it as anything other than trying to sort of make it look better for them. I think there was also a cabinet paper minute produced at some point during this first session where it was like, do we consider 
a push for independence on the back of this and on the back of Brexit. So it was the pandemic and Brexit together. But Liz Lloyd very much saying there, no, that's not the case. It was written down as something that we might consider. It never was. It wasn't ever, did not ever take place over and above the pandemic sort of handling. Yeah. So uh, we didn't obviously watch all of FMQs because we were too busy watching the COVID inquiry. There's so much happened today. But I think uh, Scottish Conservative leader Douglas Ross very much going in on the fact that, you know, as he says that these messages show a kind of politicisation of COVID and also the fact that decisions were being discussed, you know, COVID decisions were being discussed over WhatsApp. But I think one of the key things is that, that we found out today is that although Liz Lloyd was actually I think she actually was the first person involved in the Scottish government to hand over her WhatsApps to the COVID inquiry. The COVID inquiry has been, you know, we've, we've had communications from their legal representatives before about their frustration about getting WhatsApps from the Scottish government. Liz Lloyd handed them over, but she didn't retain WhatsApps from the beginning of the pandemic up until I think it was September 2020. I think it was September. And that's obviously a very key point because that's when we were still learning new things, having to react to things we'd never seen before. And when the virus was probably at its most well, most scary because we didn't have a vaccine programme at that point. And there's certain big incidents that happened then. So the whole sort of scandal around care homes and people being moved into care homes from hospitals while being positive. The Nike conference that happened in Edinburgh, people are wondering how much transmission at the very, very early days of the pandemic happened because of that conference. The resignation of Catherine Calderwood as well as Chief Medical Officer for breaking COVID rules. That happened at that period of time as well. And of course, we also had the, the first death in Scotland as well, which was also questioned during Liz Lloyd's hearing this morning because the first man who had died was somebody who was French, had come over to Scotland to watch the rugby and had subsequently died. And there was a bit of a dispute over the communications there because it was eventually put out to the media that this man had died in the care of NHS Lothian. Liz Lloyd said that she had concerns about that because it sounds like somebody who lived locally and had contra contracted the virus as opposed to somebody who'd come from another country and, moved and brought it in perhaps. Yeah and I think some of those WhatsApp messages around I mean just to use the example that you mentioned there Catherine Calderwood's resignation on the back of that tabloid front page story that she'd gone against her you know her gov the government's own coronavirus rules by visiting her holiday home in Fife the WhatsApp messages from that time, I mean, they would have been of huge interest. And yes. Around how, what effect that had on the government, what effect it had to bring in, you know, Gregor Smith obviously had to step up as interim chief medical officer. Just the sheer disruption, and also from a journalist's point of view, it just would have been fascinating to get a glimpse behind the scenes when that kind of drama. I know, I'd love to have known what Nicola Sturgeon was saying to people like Liz Lloyd at this point in time, but unfortunately it doesn't look like we have any trace of what those messages were. And Liz Lloyd very much saying she doesn't, she's tried everything to try and get those messages she's saying, um, but hasn't been able to get them. She did say that if there's possible to go through some kind of forensic process to retain them, to get them back, that she'd be happy to do that. She gave evidence this morning, and we had this afternoon, we had Humza Yusuf, the First Minister, giving evidence to the inquiry. Just to remind people, he was Justice Secretary at the beginning of the pandemic, and then laterally was Health Secretary, although Jean Freeman was the health secretary at the beginning of the pandemic during the, some of those crucial moments that you were touching on there. For example, the decisions around care homes, um, the initial kind of problems at the beginning of the at the beginning of the crisis. But Hamza Yusuf evidence, a lot of it focused on um, kind of details around you know his own feelings about the restrictions that were being put in place. I think there were some messages towards the end of the. the the pandemic, late 2021, early 2022, that he had with Jason Leach, where he was expressing frustration with 
Nicola Sturgeon and with other cabinet ministers for not imposing the restrictions that he thought were needed. His kind of answer to the inquiry was that as health secretary, he's always going to want to go further, faster. You know, his concern is always going to be health as opposed to the, for example, the financial impact of restrictions. But what did you make of Hamza Yusuf's evidence? Yeah, so we had a very sort of quick hour in between to grab our lunch. It was um, obviously Burns night, this is the day that we're recording this podcast, so it was very much haggis themed in the canteen today, which was nice. But not actual haggis, really disappointing. Yes, it was all, I had a haggis lasagna, it was all different variations on it. But then we went straight into Hamza Yusuf's evidence session. I know certainly for me, for example, I maybe put a lot of expectation on what was going to come out of his evidence session, thinking there was going to be big sort of bombshells, like what we'd seen with um, Jason Leach, or perhaps you could even argue with Liz Lloyd in some of the conversations she was having with Nicola Sturgeon. That didn't really happen as much. It was very much more nitty-gritty sort of process um, and I think a lot of it was focused on his time as Justice Secretary as opposed to his time as Health Secretary as well, which I perhaps hadn't considered um, going into this. So a lot of the messages between Hamza Yusuf tended to be with Jason Leach, actually. And I think it was commented on quite a few times by the council just how much the two of them were messaging each other. Jason Leach seems to have been quite quite active in WhatsApp. I think the two things that stood out for me were, firstly, the conversation, that, and this has been covered in, in the last couple of days, this, these messages came out previously, when Jason Leach was actually giving evidence before the inquiry. The messages that he'd exchanged with Hamza Yusuf were, Hamza Yusuf, who was, who was the health secretary by this time, was asking Jason Leach, the national clinical director, about the guidance on wearing masks. And this was in November 2021. And he was asking him, I think he was going to be attending a dinner. And he asked Jason Leach, I know sitting at the, at the table, I don't need my mask. If I'm standing talking to folk, do I need my mask on? And Jason Leach had replied, officially, yes, but literally no one does. Have a drink in your hands at all times, then you're exempt. So if someone comes over and you stand, lift your drink. Uh, and people have kind of interpreted this as Jason Leach effectively highlighting a, a loophole to Hamza mm. Yusuf in, in order to get, get around these mask rules. Hamza Yusuf is very, very clear today saying like he didn't ask for a workaround. He was merely asking for clarification on the rules. The council was then asking, well, if you didn't understand the rules as health secretary, what chance did the rest of us have? To which he said, I just wanted to quadruple check everything. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an interesting question, though, like how if he wasn't understanding it fully. How are we expected to? I mean, I think when you think back in that time, particularly when we were kind of edging out of restrictions, mm -hmm. there were so many moments. I mean, it got brought up at the inquiry today, actually, by I think comes Yusuf when we were talking about things like vertical drinking and just all these bizarre rules that when you look back in it now, some of it was just extremely complicated. Do you know one of the weirdest things I think I did with a face mask was I was camping up in the Highlands and um, it was at the time where you still had to wear a face mask inside and it was obviously a communal toilet block and so I went for a shower with my face mask on which is absolutely ridiculous <laughs> now to think about isn't it like, absolutely ridiculous because it was a shared shower block yeah I mean well I mean you look back on loads of things now I mean the rules about you know outdoor socializing were when you look back at it now fairly pointless in many ways but as a whole different conversation the other thing I was going to highlight from Hamza Yusuf's evidence which just caught my eye was messages from earlier on so this was from June 2020 when he was justice secretary and it's a WhatsApp exchange he had with John Swinney, who was then the Deputy First Minister, one of Nicola Sturgeon's key allies. Um, and John Swinney had made some comment, you know, I've just got up with the latest insight into 
SPF thinking, referring to the Scottish Police Federation, who are the effectively the, the union mm -hmm. for police officers. They represent rank and file police officers. And Hamza Youssef responded, they're a disgrace. Right through this pandemic, they have shown an arrogance and retrograde thinking. So quite strong words it about is, yes. a body that he had quite a lot of communication with. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the... The Scottish Police Federation will not be happy about that. And it's also worth pointing out to people listening that the Scottish Police Federation's leadership at that time were Callum Steele and David Hamilton. David Hamilton is now the Information Commissioner for Scotland, mm -hmm. the guy who at the weekend certainly was raising concerns about the Scottish Government's approach to WhatsApp communications. So it's, it's quite awkward, this. Yeah, we haven't had a, um, heard a response yet from the Police Federation. I'm sure by the time this podcast goes out, there will be a fairly strongly worded response put out um, from the Police Federation there. Um, but Hamza Yusuf was asked about it and did sort of admit that relationships between the Federation and himself as Justice Secretary were quite strained and that he did have sort of frustrations over how, over the ability for police officers to be supported in enforcing these COVID rules. I think he said he regretted it as well. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I can imagine him sitting there and seeing that come up on screen and thinking, <laughs> oh no, not this message. I mean, it's one of the wider points about the use of WhatsApp. I think there is a kind of sense that people use it. The government seems to consider it a kind of halfway house between an email and a water, color, a water cooler chat. Mm -hmm. It's kind of a, people use it in this very informal way. And these conversations during, during COVID that people might have had in the office, you know, just over a cup of tea or as they pass someone's desk, were actually being had over WhatsApp in a recordable yeah. form. I think that's something we maybe forget as well, because in sort of weekly briefing that we have with government spokespeople after FMQs each week, we were sort of asking that you're seeing this sort of technology is new. WhatsApp's not new. I mean, I've had WhatsApp for about 10 years now, but I think it was probably a very relevant point at the very start of the pandemic, using WhatsApp in this way instead of doing a sort of face-to-face -face conversation was new. And that's probably a fair point. I think we forget how quickly we all had to learn to adapt to doing things like Zoom and Teams and whatnot. It was yeah. completely new that that time, even though the technology wasn't new. I, th I think, you know, in the interest of fairness, any anyone who has, you know, a job essentially understands that you have to have informal conversations. Mm -hmm. If you're if you're constantly having formal conversations that you think are going to be recorded in a formal way, you're not going to communicate in the same way. You need to have a space where you can have these informal chats. Um, it just so happens that during the pandemic, it was being done on WhatsApp, which has created this extremely strange grey area mm -hmm. from the government's point of view. From the inquiry's point of view, these conversations were extremely important in understanding the government's thinking and its decision-making process. Uh, obviously, looking ahead to next week, Nicola Sturgeon's evidence is extremely hotly anticipated. Yes, that's probably the big one, but there's a whole host of people coming up. So this is the last week of the COVID inquiry sitting in Edinburgh and doing the Scottish leg of their of their um, hearings. And I believe, I've got this right, I think on Monday, we're due to hear from Michael Gove and Jean Freeman, who, as you said, was the former health secretary and the health secretary at the time when all these lockdown restrictions were first coming into play. So that will be a really interesting evidence session, I think. Tuesday, we've got Kate Forbes, the former finance secretary, and John Swinney, the former deputy first minister. Then on Wednesday, which is probably the big day that we're, we're all anticipating, a full day completely dedicated to questioning Nicola Sturgeon. She's got the whole entire day, I think, from 10 till about 4. So it'll be a lot of questions, I think, particularly with what we've just heard there. But do you think that Nicola Sturgeon will cope well with it? Because she often does in these sort of hard questioning um, situations. I mean, I think she's going to face extremely tough questions over 
you know, this culture of deleting WhatsApps over the fact that her own WhatsApps have not been retained, albeit we have copies of them because people like Liz Lloyd, for example, retained theirs. But presumably there'll be lots of WhatsApps that she sent that we just do not have access to. I think she'll face extremely hard questions about the decisions they made around things like that transfer of people into care homes in the early months of the pandemic, around all aspects of decision-making, around these kind of claims of politicisation, of just wanting to be seen to be doing things differently from the UK government. You know, whether or not people think that's a, that's a fair criticism, that's something she'll definitely be asked about. I think she'll have a really hard time with it, but I think Nicola Sturgeon copes well in these situations. I think we mm -hmm. saw that in the, the Holyrood inquiry into the Alex Salmond saga. A lot of people thought that that would finish her, finish her off, essentially, that she would be completely tainted by that inquiry and it would sort of be the end of her time as First Minister and it didn't turn out to be the case. She kind of came and performed, you know, managed to withstand it and got through it. I think she's, she is very good in these scenarios. She's very good at phrasing things. She's very good at coming across well. well that's probably why she lasted as long as she did as First Minister. And, yeah. yeah. She, I mean, she is, a, whatever you think of Nicola Sturgeon, she's a brilliant communicator. I think, I think it'll be really interesting to see her evidence and just what they, what they go into. I mean, the, the inquiry has been, uh, it sounds like a kind of naive thing to say, but it's been extremely impressive watching it, just how thorough they are, the way they go into issues, the way they kind of methodically go through things. And you can just really see there's no stone being left unturned. There really hasn't. It's, it's an impressive amount of um, information that's been held with all, of, with all the people in the inquiry. And um, they are able to just sort of go from bits of information at a drop of a hat, which has been really impressive to watch. And no time wasting either. They, they yeah. literally just go from issue to issue, you know, pinpoint exactly what they want to talk about. Mm -hmm. The questions are extremely focused. It just is really impressive to watch. I think the other thing that Nicola Sturgeon, will be difficult for Nicola Sturgeon is the, the representatives of bereaved families get their chance to they do. ask questions too. And they've obviously been extremely critical of, for example, the, the WhatsApp deletion, what they, what they would regard as the destruction of key evidence. Yes, yeah, so at the end of each um, evidence session so far, there's a wee sort of 20 minutes or 15 minutes at the end of each one where the COVID bereaved family are able to put their questions to the witness um, through a lawyer. The, each session so far has been quite short. Care Homes has come up, it did come up at the end there with Hamza Yusuf, for example. But it'll be interesting to see how much more time is given over to that when it's Nicola Sturgeon's time to, to come to their inquiry. Yeah, and I think the other things that she might be asked about is the use of private emails as well. That came up the other day. I think it was an exchange that she had on Twitter DM with Devi Sridhar, the mm -hmm. uh, Edinburgh University academic who was very well known uh, during the pandemic, where she essentially directed Devi Sridhar to her uh, SMP email address. And the point that people always make about this is that emails sent to that are not FOIable. You can't get them through freedom of information laws. Although Nicola Sturgeon's position, I believe, is that she forwarded any of that information to her government email account or her private office so all this kind of stuff would have been captured but there'll be so much stuff that they get into and I think next week I mean the COVID inquiry has dominated the last couple of weeks and I think it'll it be really the exact has. same next week so it'll be fascinating to see what happens and obviously if you are someone who's affected by COVID you the representatives of the bereaved families for example will very much be wanting to get some answers to the key questions that they have but from Edinburgh to London, where Westminster correspondent for the Scotsman, Alexander Brown, has the latest from the House of Commons, including the never-ending psychodrama that is the Conservative Party. Hello and welcome to the Westminster section of the podcast. My name is Alexander Brown 
and this week was actually quite good for Rishi Sunak. After two resignations, or at least calls for him to go, were met with meh by the wider Conservative Party. It started off with Sir Simon Clark, best known for being a huge fan of growth and a close ally with Liz Truss, who believed wholeheartedly in her disastrous mini-budget. Uh, he continues to argue that actually that sort of politics just wasn't tried. It's not that it didn't work, it's that it wasn't tried properly. He wrote a letter for The Telegraph, of all places, calling for the Prime Minister to go, and in what will be a relief to Rishi Sunak, absolutely nobody joined him. There were no calls of support, no one's agreed, no one put their head above the parapet to say, that's a fantastic point, Sir Simon. I think we should have a fourth Prime Minister in one term as well. That's really brilliant politics. Instead, he was slapped down by party bigwigs such as David Davis and even Pretty Patel. Uh, I mean, the, the rumours doing the rounds that Suella Bravman has organised this whole thing, but I, I think that, you know, massively overestimates the ability to organise of Suella Bravman. If this wasn't humiliating enough for Rishi Sunak, he also suffered the loss of a pollster. A Downing Street pollster resigned. And normally, when someone resigns from a job in Downing Street and they're not an MP or a cabinet minister, it doesn't really matter. You know, you're just someone who works there. But perhaps high on his own supply and deluded by self-importance, this sprightly young uh, stat bod issued a full statement to The Sun, basically saying, anyone who thinks that the party can win with Rishi Sunak is deluded, which, you know, is probably a good point, uh, and that something needs to be done. Obviously, he didn't really say what needs to be done, because nobody knows. There isn't an easy answer to the crisis the Tory party find themselves in. So, I mean, but these are really kind of water off a duck's back. Sir Simon Clark had no support and it made Rishi look quite popular for the first time in probably a year. While a pollster quitting, um, you know, I, I don't think anyone cares. I didn't have a single MP go, oh, that's, not, that's problematic. Whereas every MP was quite happy to use words about Sir Simon, I can't use on the podcast. The party continues to be feral, it's only going to get worse, and I look forward to more resignations and telling you about more carnage next week. Well, thanks very much. That's all we've got time for. Thank you for listening. We'll be back again next week, probably talking about the COVID inquiry again. I would imagine so. After Nicola Sturgeon has given her evidence. But until then, thank you for listening.